November 19, 2022, here a rare Saturday show, but, uh, you know, in the struggles of the season here as uh, American Thanksgiving approaches, gotta gotta make some uh, changes for this week, so that's what we decided to do. They do play Montreal tonight, um, but as we were talking to before, Anthony, you know, the, the, the takeaways for most of these games seem to be the same right now. Win or lose, you know, the, the lack of talent is uh, evident, and the evi- you know the, the the effort that they're playing with uh, can be appreciated. Yeah, like look, uh, now it seems like the last seven games, if you will, they've been playing better hockey, like in terms of the process and all that. But now they only have what two wins in their last ten games, and I think we all knew that winning was not part of the expectation this year at all. And that we are just kind of looking for effort and individual uh, success. And look, like uh, I spoke to someone with the Flyers yesterday for almost half an hour. And they were telling me how it's really to kind of get this team to another standard. And I know that's kind of been like become a cliche in Philadelphia. but they And they really want to see with what they have with a lot of these guys. And I think you're starting to see it now. Like I think the cream is starting to rise to the top as we approach the the litmus test kind of date in American Thanksgiving. And I think we're slowly starting to see them slide into a position as to where we maybe thought they would be. Like, where are they now standing? wise right outside the wildcard picture. I believe so. Yeah. So they're, they're slowly starting to kind of come back down to earth. And, you know, I was never in the boat of, let's say, trying to, I guess imply that they would be at the bottom of the standings. I thought that just because of the coach, uh, the coaching bump and maybe their defense and their goaltending, they would always be kind of like in that hockey purgatory area. And I think that's where, where they're going to end up. And like you said, I, I don't think that this team has a 10 game losing streak in them. Although they're, they've lost what now four in a row. They're, uh, they're two, three four and one. one. So they're Oh five. Uh, I think they're on a five game losing streak right now. So on a five-game losing streak, they haven't won since St. Louis, if yes. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and then they lost to Columbus. So yeah, so five-game losing streak. And it's weird because don't you think that the last five games, or I guess six or seven in to make it bigger, has been kind of like their best hockey? Yeah, and, and that, that's, <laughs> it's kind of like the crazy part of this season is like the X's and O's, the, the hockey basics, the, the what they're trying to build, I think has been pretty decent more often than not. They're making some mistakes, but I think a lot of the, the differences we're seeing on the ice and the reason they're losing games is talent related. You know, they're, the, the mistakes they do make, you know, turnovers, and then they just, they lose the speed battles. You know, the, these mistakes that they're making just amount to, a talent differential for me and but the the basic process the the pure hockey you know 101 that's going on the ice right now i really don't have a problem with at the moment and that's where you're 
kind of in a tough spot, right? Because you really want them to get the wins, I guess, kind of. I mean, depending on which way you look at it. But on the other hand, the last seven games, there's been some players playing good hockey. Like, I mean, I think that, and it's weird to say, but I think their best defenseman all season long and particularly recently has been, in terms of their specific roles, has been Nick Sealer. Like, Nick Sealer has been great in his role. And then even, like, the last seven games in particular, although he's only played six of them, I think Ristolainen has really turned his game around, too, after a horrid start. And then he gets scratched against Ottawa. And I think that since he's come in, he's been, again, in his specific role, one of their best defensemen. But then you have some guys like, let's say, Tony D'Angelo. I think his play has kind of been erratic. Ditto for Ivan Provorov. Sanheim, I, I think he's gotten a bit better the last seven games. But I think that you there still is a bit there that you want from him. But I look at their depth defenseman because you look at their top guys in Provorov and D'Angelo and Sanheim. And I think because of how heavy their deployment has been, they still have been kind of getting buried at times specifically Provorov and D'Angelo like I guess we could talk about them for a second do you find that their play has been too high event for your liking because I think they're creating a lot up the ice but they're still maybe giving up a lot in their own end yeah I, I think that's kind of the problem with the team is they're just defending too much and Provorov you know, can be a good defenseman. D'Angelo started the season relatively decent in his own end. But I, I just think you're, you know, high event hockey, as you said, you're giving these guys a little too much. Um, if you could loosen the workload a little bit, just play in the offenses on a little bit, give these guys a bit of a breather so they don't have to, you know, uh, defend for 45 minutes a night. You know, maybe I think you would see an uptick in the defense as a whole, really. But yeah, they're all struggling in their own ways because of just the pure amount of time they're spending in their own end. And I guess that's kind of hard to kind of differentiate. Like, are the guys like Provorov and D'Angelo and Sanheim, let's say, is it uglier than their actual play would suggest just because of the sheer amount of volume that they're defending? And look, there's obviously a big difference in ice time per game at 5-on-5 when you go from, let's say, Provorov, Sanheim, and D'Angelo, and then the drop-off to, let's say, Braun, Sealer, and Ristolainen. And... I mean, for me personally, I think that the depth defensemen have been very good, like I said. Like, Braun, I think that if you look at in their specific roles, has been arguably their best guy, right up there with Nick Sealer. I think Rista Lyon's been very good. But then to your point, the other guys are on the ice so much, and they're defending so much that I think that it's hurt them in the way of, let's say, their underlying numbers. And even a guy like Travis Sanheim, like I, like when I was speaking to someone yesterday, they, they acknowledged that he has to be better. But I wonder if with these top defensemen, because when I watch them, like I think D'Angelo hasn't been as good recently. I think Provorov by the eye test has been good, but maybe when you dig into the numbers a bit, you realize he is giving up a bit too much. I think Sanheim's defensive play has improved a lot, but you're still waiting for him to do, translate that to the offensive side of the puck. But I wonder with these guys, is it worse in terms of the numbers just because they're defending so much a part of the game? I think so. I, I think it's the 
just general lack of talent on the rest of the team is forcing them into their own end for so long, and they're playing so hard minutes back there that, you know, it really is making things bad. You know, visually, Sanheim has been a little underwhelming through most of the season. You know, D'Angelo's kind of hit or miss on a night-to-night basis. Um, I thought Provorov looks fine by the eye test, all things considered. And, you know, Ristolainen, he's been better, but, you know, he's Ristolainen, right? I, I just, I do and think a, a lot of it... a lesser role, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been on the third line with sealer lately um you know they're doing i think it's just they're doing their best given the circumstances and you know the the overall uh, state of the fact that they're pinned in their zone for so long every single game probably is doing more damage if there was you know a slight bit of uh, offensive edge the flyers had if they could just spend a game not being completely uh, destroyed like that and they, they would probably look a little better than they do right now especially somebody like d'angelo who would flourish in an offensive role and D'Angelo in particular, like, I, what was it against Columbus that he played like 31 minutes yeah, the other the night? Overtime game against Columbus. Yeah, and you just see the difference in deployment between the top three and the bottom three. And you have Provorov, D'Angelo, both over 18 minutes, and Provorov's playing almost 19 minutes a night at five on five. D'Angelo is at 18 minutes and a half. Sanheim, 17 minutes and 49 seconds, what he's averaging. And then it's a two and a half minute drop to Ristolainen, who's averaging 15.18, and then Braun at 15.02, and Sealer at 13.50. And I think the reason why you see why Ristolainen, Braun, and Sealer are getting, let's say, better analytical numbers, and it looks like they're having a better process, is because they're just having easier the deployment they're not out there nearly as much like two and a half two and a half to three and a half minutes of difference at five on five is a big thing for this team that to your point has been caved in a lot of the time at five on five but less so recently and it's weird because like i look at Provorov and d'angelo and look they're they're negative in terms of the expected goals their coursey is actually pretty good the last seven games And their shot differential is in the negatives, but not too, too bad. And I say, like, when it comes to the expected goals for and against, is it because of just how much they're playing out there? And I think it's absolutely true. And it begs the question that let's say you took this six-man defensive unit and you transported it onto, let's say, the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Florida Panthers or the New Jersey Devils, like a top-tier team in the NHL right here, right now. Is their defensive group as currently constructed good enough to, let's say, maybe not win a Stanley Cup, but be a very good competitive team? I would think so. I I would think if you gave this current six-man unit a chance to succeed, you put them on a team like the Devils, you could probably make something out of them. You know, I don't know if they're cup contending. I would probably swap out the bottom pair entirely at that point, but... You know, overall, I really don't mind the way they're playing. I just think it's the situation that they're in um, that that has made things just exponentially worse just because of the sheer uh, uh, amount of defense they're playing every night. If if this was a competent team that had a little bit of offensibility that could control the puck in their own end for a little while, like, hey, you know, you may be able to squeeze something out of this group. Like, there's definitely a solid foundation here on the blue line right now. And. I guess that's why it sucks to see Igor Zamul on the sidelines. But then how could, and because I guess the, the easiest guy to take out would be Nick Sealer. But like, man, how good has Nick Sealer been this year? Like, I guess they were onto something when they thought that he could be a competent defenseman when he wasn't playing with Keith Yandel all the time, right? 
Yeah, I, I mean, considering who he is and what role he's played in the past, the fact that he's here and looking, you know, as decent as he is, is has been a, a very pleasant surprise. And, you know, I put a piece up on Brotherly Puck the other day, kind of looking at that and why Zamula is scratched. And, you know, they've been playing him on the right side even when he is getting in the lineup. And, and it's hard because it's not Nick Sealer's fault on this one. Like, Sealer's playing well. It's just the fact that here's a prospect who should theoretically be getting ice time and Sealer's the one stopping him from getting that ice time. So it is frustrating but from a on-ice perspective Sealer has been very very good which is very weird to say. And it, then it begs the question like would they be better off sending Zamula down because I look at Zamula and in my head for whatever reason if they could get him to be a full-time right side defenseman like does it not make sense and you've seen him a lot more than me so i always defer to you with this but do you not think his skill set if he could learn to play the right side would make the most sense playing alongside sandheim as kind of like that long-term shutdown pair you could put him like i think he's been kind of hit or miss on the right side i, I think he's clearly a guy making the transition to the nhl when he's played he's had games that are very good and he's had moments that are very bad and i think it's just kind of learning you know, he is advancing to the game and learning the speed and everything that it takes and playing on his offside. You know, there's just the faults that he has had this year, I just think, are purely the results of making the jump to the NHL. And because he has not been quite as crisp as he looked in Lehigh last season, I think that's why he's in the box to begin with. But, um, yeah, I, I think his playing style could float over to the right side nicely. I, I wouldn't do it. I would let him play on the left side. I just, I really like having left shots on the left side and right shots on the right side. You know, it's the best way to set things up. But I do think his style of play would work well on the right side if need be. Like, it's definitely a useful tool to have, especially a young guy like that who can play either side um, successfully. So, yeah, I, I mean, I could see him carving out a spot on the second or third pair on the right side in the near future, but he needs that ice time in order to, to adapt and adjust to that kind of uh, role. Because I, I see his reach. I know they tried him out briefly on the power play, but I don't really think that's probably his bread and butter. And you have a D'Angelo, you have a Cam York, of presumably when he comes up. Because I'm trying to kind of look at the long-term future of this back end. And, you know, I like I think Justin Braun will probably be moved by the deadline. And I think that he would probably get even more than last year because he's playing a lesser role so his underlying numbers look very good. I think I test wise, Justin Braun has been more than fine. And you look at all the injuries across the NHL and the everlasting desire and I guess overvaluation of right shot defensemen. So I think he'll be gone. I asked about Ristolainen yesterday, and because I'm really curious as to where they go with Ristolainen. And you know, I, it's been the, a consistent message that they are going that they'll listen on anybody. I think, with the exception of Carter Hart, I think this is a team that if enough was ponied up, they would pretty much part with any player. I don't think there's many untouchables on this team, if at all. But I kind of keep getting the same message with Ristolainen: is that they fully believe that he's the type of player you have to have once you're ready to play in the playoffs and he provides an element that's rare to find and to the credit I think he's been a lot better in the last seven games I think what Shaw and Tortorella have tried to do is really kind of simplify his game and become a low event defenseman which I always felt was kind of trying to 
fit a square peg into a round hole because I think he can give you a lot offensively. But I, I understand, given his skill set and his size, that like it would make more sense to be kind of more of a shutdown guy. But I always wondered with him is like if you're paying him five point one million dollars, which as we've discussed here isn't as much as some people think. Like, I think people still have it in their minds. It's like $5 million from 15 years ago <laughs> when you'd pay a guy that to be a top-pairing defenseman. But for you, and look, we're, we're always objective about this, so we don't hate Ristolain for every problem under the sun, but do you agree with that line of sin- thinking that someone told me that even though he's by far not untouchable, that he is a type of player that you need even when you do plan to contend? See, that's the thing with Ristolainen is I feel like he would not be immovable because he's a big, physical, right-shot defenseman. Like, a lot of teams... Mean motherfucker. In play- yeah, a lot of teams in the playoff contention would probably go for something like that. So, theoretically, if the Flyers, you know, ever make it back to the playoffs, which seems questionable at this point, let's be real, if they ever make it back to the playoffs, you know, having somebody like Ristolainen on your third pair would be a plus, right? But it's just... It goes back to the murky ground that they find themselves in where they're not really a playoff team probably won't be this year. You know, who the hell knows what it looks like next season, but you know, I don't know. I, the situation they've worked themselves into with their blue line, with the Sanheim extension and the rest line extension and pro still here for a couple of years. And Christ knows what they do with D'Angelo probably just hand, hand him an eight year contract too with York, Zamula and Adderd all kind of waiting to make the jump. You know, I, you're going to have to figure something out somewhere. And if you could transfer Zamula to the right side and Adderd shows up and look good, like I think Adderd right now is very much like a D'Angelo player. He's an offensive guy who can relatively hold his own in his own end, you know. And if he could develop this season and make the jump next year, I don't think you need D'Angelo long term because you have your own D'Angelo and Adderd. So, man, I, it's just. If you wanted to move him, I don't think it's impossible. If you had to move one of these big contracts on this team right now, I think Ristolainen may be one of the easier people to move just because he does possess things that teams are looking for. But at the same time, you know, do you lose him and then have to find another righty? It's just, you know, what came first, chicken or the egg, right? Yeah. And I do think you're like, it's very well taken, your point, is because I think that it's easier to find. A, well, because I don't know, because look, D'Angelo's the better hockey player, right? Yeah. I think we could all agree on that. But I do think, like you've alluded to, is that it's e- easier to find like an offensive guy and you have an Adderd that you, you're very bullish on Adderd, aren't you? I do like Adderd. I, 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 listen, I, if you're a, a longtime listener to this show, you know I am no fan of offensive defensemen. I, I just, I really don't like the concept. I grew up in an era with big, mean, physical, big defensemen, stay-at-home guys. That's my thing, you know. But I see enough out of Adderd offensively and enough of an upside defensively, which is something that, like, we never got out of Shane Gossiper. Shane Gossiper was pure offense, and his defense was never up to snuff. You know, like, this is a guy who seems to possess both. He's very much a D'Angelo right now, you know, where he's going to have his hiccups defensively, I'm sure, but his shot is phenomenal, and his defense has been fine more often than not, where I think he could be a very, very useful tool, even if he doesn't end up being a top guy. If you can put him on the third pair right side and just have a secret weapon on your power play back there, like, that alone is worth it. So, I really do like what Adder has shown thus far, and I think it's just a matter of him uh, developing a little more uh, of his two-way style. But yeah, I, the, what he's shown so far in Lehigh, I'm a big fan of. And do you? And I think the big question here is that you would have to hope that he becomes a top pairing guy, or would Zamula become that top pairing guy? Like 
of all the defensemen they have in their system, and we can lump Zamula into that mix right now, but do you think that any of these guys could be like staples in your top four, more specifically on the top pair, if you were to move on from D'Angelo? Like, like I guess in all, like, would you rather, if you're holding on to Ristolainen over D'Angelo long-term, it's because you believe that one of these guys could theoretically become a top-pairing defenseman, right? Yeah, man. I would wonder if they would try York in that role. They did last year on the top right spot with Provorov. I think he would be, out of the three of them, of Zamola, Adderd, and York, I would assume he'd be your best bet as you know being a regular top-minute kind of guy. But I don't know if you want him on the left side long-term, if you want him playing on his natural side, but they don't have any spots on their natural side because they re-signed Sanheim. So, yeah, I don't know if Zamola ends up being a top guy or not. I think in time he'll be a very solid maybe middle pair, bottom pair guy, but I don't know if he really is that that high-end guy you're looking for. Adder might be, but I think it's just a little too early to tell. Yeah, and like I think that at least on defense, you have a lot of options. I think long-term, and I, and I had talked about this a lot, and I think you were more or less in the same boat as me, is that you had a good amount of options long-term on defense, as long as Provorov could be that number one guy. And I guess that's, Another big question, like, for you is, is Provorov good enough to be a number one defenseman in your eyes? Yeah. I, I don't think, think he's so? an elite guy, but I think he could be, I think he can be a number one, provided he's got a partner that isn't complete dog shit. Like, his play, he's with D'Angelo this year, his play is significantly improved versus what it was with Justin Braun. You know, if you could find a legitimate, to, a legit top right-handed guy... You know, whether it be somebody like if Adder develops or York develops or they keep D'Angelo and he turns around or they go out and find whoever. You know, if you could give him a legit partner, I think you can squeeze by with Provorov's play being what it is. It, like, it, it, I don't think he's an elite guy, but I would, you know, where the hell is he going to find somebody to replace Provorov at this point? You know, so I, I think he, he he's good enough for the role that you need him for, provided the rest of the defense can step up. Yeah, and I guess the other thing I would ask is, do you think that Sanheim, like, are you worried? Be, and I know you're no Sanheim fan, <laughs> but you've always made a big, I guess, effort to be objective. And like, look, I'm not a huge fan of Sanheim as well. Like, I think a lot of people blew way too much smoke up his ass, as opposed to just acknowledging that he's just a solid second pair defenseman. But I also think in terms of the contract and his play, like, he kind of falls into that mix is like, I don't get the urgency as to why they felt so rushed to sign him. But if the contract had to be signed, like I think the contract is kind of par for the course with what defensemen are getting paid these days. And yes, I don't think his play has been great. I think that he has a lot of room to improve, especially to where he was at last year. But like for me, I'm not ready to sound the alarm on Travis Sanheim or the fact that he has that contract. Where are you at with that? We recorded a frequent flyer last night. That's that's not up yet, but we spent like 45 minutes talking about Sanheim and, and kind of the outlook on this defense. And, you know, the contract, like, the cap hit is fine. It's totally negligible once the cap starts going up in a few years from now. 6.2 is not going to mean anything. You know, the term is ridiculously stupid. Why you sign this guy for eight years till he's 35? Like, I get it's just kind of the status quo contract, but it doesn't make any sense. You know, I hate that they kind of boxed out Cam York like that. You know, they're forcing Zamul on the right side because of it. I I don't understand why you had to do it yet. I think yeah, in, I agree in the 
it would have been more like a Scott Lawton scenario where you should have waited to see what the market looked like. You know, the Leafs are apparently looking for a Jake Muzzin replacement. You know, Sanheim would have been good in that role. You know, you could have waited till the trade deadline to see what's out there. If you found a good price for him that is what you wanted, great. Then you can just throw York up there and let him do his thing. But, man, I, I just, I don't know why. If he could... If York is still in the plans, like you could go Provorov at one, York at two, and Sanheim at three if he just ends up being whatever he is right now and York you usurps him. But I, I just I don't understand why you had to give the guy the contract when you did, especially considering the depth you have at LHD. Right? You just have York and Zamula at these roles where you didn't need to lock this guy up long term immediately. There was no hustle to do so. So you know, you do have plenty of options. I guess like Sanheim's probably not going anywhere anytime soon at this point. But the rest of the guys, you do have options with. I think it's just a matter of how this shakes out. I, I just don't really like that you locked him up so early before you saw what you had in him this season. You know, you signed him at his contract based off of his play last year. If you signed him right now where he's good but not nearly as good as he was last year, you can probably shave a couple mil off that AAV or maybe a year or two off of his contract. You know, you could have waited. It would have been smarter business. But... I don't know. The contract itself is not the problem here. The problem is just the outlook of the defense and on the left side and why you have all these bodies and why you felt the urge to resign him before the puck even dropped to start the season. Yep, and I agree with that 100% because I do think that organizationally you have so much depth on that left side like you alluded to, but at least I guess it's like a good problem to have because he's a guy that even if in two three years you want to move i think he would be a movable contract once the cap goes up it should be fine because like you said 6.25 like i always say this and it it's more like when people have asked me like is wrist alignment movable i always come back to the same thing in a world where eric branson makes four million dollars for four years and seth jones makes nine and a half million dollars for seven more years i always think there's a room there's room to move defensemen especially with cost certainty as long as it's not egregious and i don't think sanheim's contract is that egregious but then i look at the forwards and for me the forwards is more where like i don't know where they're gonna go with this because i fully think and i know like you're gonna get a good chuckle of this but i fully think that they want this turned around by next year and i think a lot of what they're doing right now is showcasing a lot of these guys. Like, I'm not sure what they're going to do with Travis Konechny because he has been excellent this year. Like, is like what's the best way to describe the way Konechny has played? He's finally living up to what people talk about him as. He, he's living up... I mean, he's over a point per game. Now, he hurt his arm in the Boston game. I don't think we've got an official update as of this recording, but my guess is it's probably broken, right? So he's going to miss a couple <laughs> weeks at best. Um but, you know, his offensive play has been very good, especially considering the dog shit that he's playing with right now. Exactly. You know, the fact that he's doing what he's doing is incredible. I think his two-way play is not great. I think he's still making quite a bit of boneheaded plays, but, you know, you can chalk that up to, uh, again, the lack of talent where he's not. he doesn't have anybody that's kind of on the same wavelength. And it's wavelength gone a bit right better now. recently, his defense. It's not as bad. You know, there, yeah. the pass in the Columbus game when he took a shot in a oh, three-Columbus okay. defenseman <laughs> and then they went out and put it in the back of the net. Ridiculously stupid. You know, shit like that drives me absolutely crazy. But overall, like, he's been very good. And that, you know, it begs the question, 
do you move him when he's at his peak and clear the five and a half million dollars and put it to better use signing a center? Or now do you say, well, we don't want to move him because he's playing well. You know, <laughs> it's, I think Konechny and Hayes are going to be your two big questions up front as far as movability yeah. uh, to clear the cap to provide moves elsewhere. So that'll be that'll be definitely the interesting part. But yeah, Konechny, listen, I'm objective. I know I fucking hate this guy, but I'm objective. He's been very good this year. Yeah, and... I think that you went exactly where I was going to go with it anyway, is that because even Kevin Hayes, like Kevin Hayes has been good, all things considered this year. Considering I, he's I, tasked I, with playing one C at 30 years old. Yeah, he looks fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like even his underlying numbers have been good again, especially I've been looking a lot the last seven games and I think that it has been a lot better. He's what, uh, almost a point per game. It's so funny. Like I saw something respond i think to charlie o'connor's tweet about kevin hayes and it said the worst contract in the nhl and i just commented like 14 points in 14 games like <laughs> it's not the worst contract in the nhl like it's i feel like people have just tr been so hard to try and push this narrative but simply not true but he's a guy that more so than connecting because connecting i could see the argument for both because I think that he has a very good contract if he's playing like this. Like if yeah, Konechny's yeah. playing like this, it's an amazing contract, right? Yeah, five and a half is perfectly fine for a point per game guy. Yeah, but Kevin Hayes is the one where like, and look, obviously we're starting to hear like, and I haven't been told this at all, but, but I do think typically where there's smoke, there's at least some fire. We've started to hear like the Bo Horvat stuff. Yeah. And obviously Horvat is a cousin of Konechny and then you have the Sean Katori situation kind of lingering and that contract's never going to be moved. So I'm saying like Kevin Hayes is a guy that, you know, beyond this season, he has three years left at 7.1. His real cash dips to six and a half and then 5.25 for the final two years. So I'm saying like, is Kevin Hayes a guy? And obviously he still has a modified no trade clause. So he has some control. But I think, is Kevin Hayes a guy that you look at here and you say, like, you know, if he still even finishes the season with even 65, 70 points, if there's a market for him, I think he's the guy that you try and unload more so than Travis Konechny. Hayes is this summer's JVR. If you yeah. want to have any fun at all in free agency, you got to clear the money. And his 7.1 is where you're going to do that, especially as an upgrade at sea. You know, I... He's the guy, I think, beyond all else right now that you got to move. You know, Konechny, you know, we can argue about that all later. We'll see, you know, what he looks like by season's end, I guess, because consistency is where, you know, the big questions arise for Konechny. But Hayes is the guy that you got to dump in order to pursue anybody in free agency, whether it's Horvat or Larkin or Pasternak or whatever your personal preference is. You know, that $7.1 million will go a long way to signing any of those guys. Um, so, yeah, he's the one. He's 17 points in 17 games right now. Um, so point per game. Yeah. You know, Konechny's at uh, 19 points in 17 games. So overall, it's just they, those those two have been kind of the conduits of the offense. And I, I think Hayes has been very good this year. I think people, 
really turned on him because of the injuries over the last couple of years and that contract kind of suffers because of it. But when Hayes is healthy, he's been very good. If he was playing like his proper 2C right now, I think he would look even better. But because he's out there playing 1C with no talent on the ice and Couturier's hurt and there's nobody playing behind him, just the pure minutes that he's playing has, you know, brought down, I think, the overall appeal of what he's doing because he is having some moments out there where he's not playing the best. But the offense is still flowing. And as long as the offense is flowing, you should theoretically be able to solve that contract to a team looking for more of a depth veteran center, whereas the Flyers are looking for more of a young, high-end, pure offensive center. Yeah, and, you know, you look at if Sean Couture ever comes back, and then he's probably going to be that two-defensive C. And then at 3C, like, I mean, this time next year, would it be crazy to think that Benway will be playing 3C for them? It's totally possible. Um, I really like Danoye. You know what? What I you know I've been I've been a phantom season ticket holder for five years now. So typically, you know, you just kind of see the young guys that are making the jump. The guy, you know, their first rookie season in the AHL. You just see if they can hang. That's always the kind of the baseline. Is like, can they play reasonable hockey out of the gate? Or are they being totally thrown in over their heads? And he exceeded that immediately and he's been playing very very well in all situations you know i i thoroughly enjoy watching elliot dna play hockey so i do think at least at this point in time like he is a legitimate option moving forward playing at center um whether we see him at some point this year who knows i think it's a little early i I don't think he's getting the recall anytime soon but then you look at the main roster and go well you know who the fuck else is playing at center that is better than this guy (laughs) the slop on the main roster could maybe by season's end you know once the trade deadline comes and goes if you can get rid of one or two bodies he may be one of their first recalls later in the year but uh yeah i I think denoyer is a real option you got gotier hanging around as well you know he's probably making the professional jump next year whether they throw him in the nhl right away who knows but you know you do have some younger options at center going the next year with Denoyer and Gautier. So if you can get, say, Larkin, Katuri comes back, you know, and he's not a complete cripple, you can put him at two as your defensive guy and then throw Gautier at three or Denoyer at three and the other one gets top line minutes in the AHL until he develops. Like, that's not that's not the worst, you know? Like that'll probably be the best one, two, three punch they've had down the middle since fucking the Legion of Doom or something like that. <laughs> Or probably Briere, Richards, and Carter, something like that. Just 15 years ago. (laughs) I think the last time they had good center depth, I'm trying to think, was it when they had Briere? No, no, not Briere. It was Giroux, but even LeCavalier, Baruby hated him. So, I mean, like, you get it. Remember he used to play him on the right wing with Belmar and Vandevelde? Yep. Like what? Like what good was? Co- anyway, I don't want to talk about <laughs> it. But uh, I think his vendetta against Lavi against Le Cavalier, I never understood. No, I only did that. But um, but and even like if you were, and I'm just using Bo Bo Horvat. That was like a just an arbitrary example. But if you sign any one C, whether it be Larkin or Horvat or whatever. Would you bring up Gauthier and play him on the left wing, or do you think it's kind of imperative that he sticks at center? Because I'm saying, like, if you bring in Horvat, who I think by this time next year would be 28, and then you have Den Waye, who would be a long-term center on this team, and then Sean Couturier, like you said, providing he can still play hockey, he's going to be here till the end of time. Could you just let Gauthier play his natural position and just say, we just want you to be that offensive weapon, 
And then the my next question would be is if Gauthier, Horvat, and let's say Konechny is your top line next year, is that something you're comfortable with? It would totally ease the stress off of Gauthier if they went out and signed a legit 1C and Denoyer continues to be promising at C in the AHL. That would, you know, it's a nice tool to have somebody like that, like a, like a Braden Shen who can play center or the wing, right? You don't have to yeah. play him at center. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, if Noye can look good, and you sign a Larkin and or Horvat, and and just cross your fingers that Sean Couturier's got anything left in the tank, that's not a bad punch down the middle. You know, it, it puts a lot less stress on Gautier to develop at C. You know, if he can play it and he looks good, great. You know, then you got an extra man. You got an extra man down there. You can really ease the stress off of Couturier at that point. But it, it's not nearly as crucial that he develops in that role. Hundred percent. You could put him on the wing and just say, "Go out there and be the top scorer that we need right now." So yeah, you could do that. I, Katuri, uh how do you say Horvat, Gautier, and Konechny is the top line next year? Eh. Yeah, Gautier is your left wing, Horvat, and Konechny. You could do that. I, I think an ideal world, Konechny's probably still a second line right winger. But yeah. you know, given the financial constraints of this team, they may have no choice but to roll him in the top lining in next year. Especially if Forster makes a jump, you can put him in uh, the second line. Yeah. So you know, yeah, I-, I wouldn't hate that. I mean, that at least on paper provides them the best top line they've had, you know, since fucking Christ was a cowboy. So you should be able to, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sold on that. And because now, like again, obviously you're more privy to what's going on in the Phantoms. You think. Forster and Dan Y.A. will probably be NHM next year, correct? Probably. Uh, Forrester... is not bad, but he's a lot more rough around the edges than I was expecting him to be. And I think like in a sense... green or... Yeah, just a little green. And I think the, the Phantoms are going through a lot of what the Flyers are going through in the sense that there's just not a lot of veteran talent on that team. The, the Phantoms are a very young roster right now. And their veterans are essentially Garrett Wilson, who was playing with Forrester and Desnoyers. But Garrett Wilson, at this point in his career, is a glorified enforcer, essentially. And Cal O'Reilly was playing 2C, but Cal O'Reilly's 35 years old. You know, like he Adam can still Brooks. do a little bit, but he's not nearly as productive as he used to be. So they are rolling with a lot of young guys. Like Jackson Cates and Max Willman were their veteran, you know, guys. So What it, about guys like Brooks and Marodi? Marodi actually looks pretty decent. Like, I was pleasantly... He, he missed the entire uh, opening bit there this season. He came back last week and had three points in two games. Um, I don't know if he scored last night. I would need to look that up. But he, he looks good, whether he's a, you know, legit option at this point. I have no idea. I don't know what their plans are for the guy. Brooks is whatever. He exists. He's been a dude. Um... But, you know, if they had, and ironically enough, like, the Phantoms for all these years have had guys like Phil Verone and and, and Gary Mayhew and you know, Colin McDonald, all these, like, AHL studs, you know. And this year they don't have any of that, and they really need some of that. So uh, I think Forrester is just a little green, and a little lack of that kind of spark plug is, is um, stalled his numbers thus far. Like, I don't think he's been bad by any means, but I don't think he's been quite as electric as you want him to, or what he's kind of been projected to be. So yeah, it may just be a matter of development time for him to uh, to wait till he kind of gets his feet under him and truly uh, can step up and make the play. But I, he should be fine by next year, as should Dana because I look at their defense, their defense looks pretty well rounded out. Like, I guess their veteran back there is Kevin Connaughton. Yeah. How has he looked? 
he's been he's serving the role as a veteran second pair guy in the AHL. He's playing with Wiley. Uh, I believe so, because I think uh, Bel Petto, the Louis the Petto, has been up with uh, York on the top pair. With so who where's Ginning playing or Ginning and Adder? Like how is their top pair looking right now? I believe York and Louis the Petto have been playing on the top pair. And then Wiley has been tagging out with Milman? Milman. No, Milman's in the ECHL. Oh, Milman's in the ECHL. Yeah, Milman is not even in the AHL right now. <laughs> and Hogberg? Hogberg, Wiley, and Ginning, I believe, have all been kind of tagging in and out of the lineup. I think Hogberg has kind of been the odd man out at this point. But, uh,. I think York is. I believe York is the only one who's actually getting consistent ice time among the bunch right now. Um, but York and Adder, I believe, are the two getting it. Everyone else is kind of been tagging it out just because they've got so many freaking bodies down there right now. Um, and uh, because I look at how the Fords, I guess, because the defense, I think they're in good shape. Because I think you have a guy like Adder and York who will be NHL defensemen. I guess Ginning and Wiley have outside chances, but like even Ginning, if he makes it to the NHL, I think he's going to be more like a hag type, like a good number seven or whatever. But I'm looking at the forwards and I'm trying to like kind of piece it together because again, assuming the health of Sean Couturier and let's say Kevin Hayes, they find a way to move him. You could have a second line next year, maybe Tippett, Couturier and Atkinson. I think that would be like, a fairly good uh, second line. And then your third line would look something along the lines of Lawton, uh, Lawton, Denoyer, and then you also have a guy like Bobby Brink, a Tyson Forster, if he, he makes it. And I'm just kind of thinking, like, do you think there's a path here where Joel Farabee doesn't have a long-term place on this team? There are a lot of people starting to express doubt with Joel Farabee. You know, he he was one of the golden boys there for a long time, and I don't think he's doing that anymore. And, you know, I, I've been hesitant to jump down in his throat just because of what he's coming back from, you know, the serious neck surgery and the fact that he missed all of the preseason and training camp and he's still kind of getting his feet under him. But, you know, it does kind of beg the question, like, what you need this guy to be versus what he's been doing are two very different things. So it is possible that he could be the odd man out. It probably comes down between he and Konechny, who they value more long-term. You know, who the hell knows what's going on with Atkinson at this point. But, yeah. uh, you know, he I, I don't think his roster spot is nearly as set in stone as it was this time last year, if that's what you're asking. Well, because I'm looking at a lot of these forwards, and, like, something's going to have to give. Because, obviously, Delorier is going to be your long-term four left wing. Yeah. Which, I mean, there's not a lot of guys that... I know we can maybe debate Isaac Ratcliffe being better in that role, but whatever. Uh, not you know, no, you can't exactly. So not even close anymore. No, you have Noah Cates, who I think has a long term future on this team. We know John Tortorella loves this guy like his firstborn son. <laughs> Wade Allison, I think, has a probably even if he's a four, even right just a fourth line. I, I think he's a part of this roster long term. Which I think is okay. Like, if he turns in to be, like, a kind of, like, a fringe third-liner, fourth-line guy, and then you have a guy like Sedlak, and I think Sedlak's been excellent. Obviously, he's a pending UFA. I could see them probably flipping him at the deadline, so, like, I wouldn't bank on him being here long-term. Yeah. But 
maybe you have Noah Cates play 4C next year or whatever it is. But I'm starting to think, like, there's a lot of guys that, like, they're just going to get boxed out here. Like, even Morgan Frost. Like, I can't see a world where Morgan Frost is back here next year. Like, There's no way, right? (laughs) There's no way. Like, I I know he's still an RFA at the end of the year, but there's no way you bring this guy back again, right? And I don't even think he's been bad. Like, and you've talked about a lot that he's done a lot of work in his game that he's no longer liability and i think that again another one of those guys that the last seven games like his process i find has been a lot better you know positive expected goals uh, decent coursey rating you know i think he's finally maybe found some consistent lines with farabee and willman but i'm just thinking more and this is not me saying that he's a bad player like i think he's an nhler every day of the week it's just I don't know if Frost has a niche here. And I'm just looking at the long-term outlook of this team, and I don't know where this guy fits in. Like, maybe if you shift him to wing, but we just broke it down. They have a plenty full of wingers. And I just think that once you start getting some graduations from Den Y.A. and Forster, and then you have a guy like Bobby Brink, who we haven't talked about because he's been injured. Like, I think that... Once you get healthy here, if ever, like, I don't know if Frost has a long-term place on this team. And it's, like I said, not me saying he's a bad player. I just don't think he has a niche here. No, if he's not going to put, like, he's he's fine, right? Like, he's just, he's not getting destroyed. He's holding his own, but there's no upside anymore. That that upside is there. gone. It's just, it doesn't exist. He's, he's a depth dime a dozen player at this point. And... And not a liability. I think it's important to point that out. No, he's fine. He's a perfectly fine hockey player. You know, he just doesn't provide the offense. He's not Claude Drew Jr. You know, and that's that's always been my question at this point is like, he's established himself, you know, to the absolute basic of a hockey player. Like, what upside is left at this point? None. You know, he's never going to be a point-per-game guy. If if he ever does, it's certainly not going to be here. You know, I, I just don't think... You know, if Gauthier and Daynoye uh, both make the NHL next year and look good, you know, well, you could bump Katuria down to Forsey and put him in specific defensive minutes and let the other three go. Like, you just don't need Frost. You've got three teams worth of right wings here. Uh, you don't have a need for another random bottom center. I just, I don't really see a way this guy's coming back next season. Uh, it's pretty clear that he doesn't have a spot unless he magically, you know, divine intervention turns it around this year there's just no reason for frost to be back next year like this train has sailed boat has like sailed he... train on the track whatever it doesn't <laughs> whatever the train has left the <laughs> station there how about that but good enough i, I just and then you even look at a guy like zach McEwen. like i know everyone hates him but he's been playing good he has been a lot of fun this year <laughs> <laughs> and his process has been good too like he's generating chances he's not being a complete liability in his own end good underlying numbers again for him the last seven games i think aside from travis konechny i'd have to double check this but he has the highest expected goals for per 60 the last seven games like maybe they found something with a guy like McEwen. like could he be like a dan carcillo esque of player that could jump into your middle six if need be yeah I think so. I don't. I don't know if the pure talent is there, but the energy certainly is. You know, the the willingness to jump up and play in a heavy role. I mean, he's on the fucking power play right now, for Christ's sake. Like, you know, if he could be that kind of energy guy, you have Deloria out there on the fourth line to play solid hockey, and then 
McEwen can be the energy guy of the bunch. Yeah, like I, I wouldn't mind keeping him in that role. Um, even as just a 13th forward to come in and tag in on a perfect team. Like, that would be even better. So, I, I, I do not hate McEwen. And at this point, if I had to pick between Frost and McEwen, I'd pick McEwen. Like, I mean, who the... The worst, the the one forward that I've had a lot of issues with recently is just Farabee, to be honest. Like, if I had to nitpick one forward who I say, like, really has, like, not impressed me in terms of the relative expectations attached to him, it would be Farabee. Because I look at all the other guys and where they're playing in terms of what I think they should be doing. Like, okay, maybe Tippett hasn't been as good, but he scored a goal the other night. And I really like Owen Tippett for the most part. Tippett's been playing well for the most part. Exactly, like generating chances. The process has been fine, yeah. Yeah, Lawton and Cates, like I know a lot of people have kind of started shitting on Noah Cates, but like, I mean, the guy is not only trying to learn how to play in the NHL, he's also being forced out as a centerman Yeah, with tough deployment with Scott Lawton. Like, I don't have any problem with either of those two types of guys because I think Noah Cates is like probably a bottom six player, you know, in the long term here, probably like a Scott Lawton type, if we're being honest. Like he kind of seems like a Lawton junior. And I mean, Allison, I think, was playing well before he got injured. Deloria, he is what he is. Sedlak, I think, has been exceptional. Like the last seven games, he hasn't been on the ice for a five on five goal against. Wow. That's insane to me. <laughs> yeah. Like I think in terms of in terms of and you see like his his chance suppression against, like he's played his role excellently. And that's why I think that come the trade deadline, he's the type of player that you're probably gonna get like a decent return for. And it's too bad because I think he's a good player, but like, there's just no reason to hang on to a Lucas. Sedlak. Not bad for a random waiver claim, but that's what I'm saying. And I think that for the most part in all the, like Kiefer Bellows, he's garbage. And yeah. It, it's, it's sad because of his pedigree and, but it is what it is. But I mean, for the most part, I like their depth players, although like 90% of their forwards are depth players. So it's kind of hard to say that. Yeah. But I guess my point here is, is that if you insulate this team with one or two really high-end offensive players and you get Katori back to some form of health and you get Atkinson back to some form of health, like how far off is this team? Like if you add in a Horvat and Gotze hits the ground running next year uh, somewhat and you get some guys back healthy, like... We already kind of broke down the defense that more or less they're kind of set up in a decent spot long term here goaltending i have no concern with i guess my point is is that like maybe in the long term because they have some solid depth and i think that was the biggest issue for so many years that you had just such crappy depth players that now they have good depth both in the short medium and kind of long term that if you could land a horvat or, or larkin or a posternak maybe they have something here maybe obviously way too early to tell but it doesn't look maybe as bleak as we thought. Your depth can be really good, especially when everyone just takes a step back. If you put a legit top line in the ice, if you signed Larkin, Pasternak, and move Gautier to the left wing, and that's your top line, and then just everyone dropped down a bit. You know, Konechny yeah. was there, Katuri comes back, you know, maybe Joel Faraby sticks around at that point. But then you have guys like Lawton and Tippett and McEwen, De- uh, Delorier, Allison that could all fill in your bottom six right there. That's really good. You know, McEwen has been promising, but he's been playing on your second line. You know? <laughs> like, if you put him in, like, a proper role 
on the fourth line, like, it would boost him significantly. And Noah Cates, you know, put him back on the wing, the third line left wing with, you know, Lawton and Tippett long-term. Like, I would like that. Like, just decreasing the minutes of the good players on this roster and everyone can fit back into their role. You add legitimate top-end talent here to give yourself a top line and insulate your top six. If Dane and Forster make the jump and provide some hope down the middle and on the wing. Like, you do have options at forward here. It's just a matter of clearing out enough cap to even entertain the idea of pursuing a Horvat or a Larkin or a Pasternak or uh, multiples of them. You know, all three, if you really want to go wild, you know, that's, that's the big question right now is I think this is what this season is, is you're seeing what you got in this roster. And for the most part, we've seen a lot of good things. You know, the players are playing well in the roles that they're expected to play. There's just not enough talent to carry them. And, you know, that that's what I mean when, when we talk about the X's and O's and, and just the Hockey 101 play. Like, I individually, for the most part, like the performances of everyone that's been on this roster. There just is not enough talent. And if you add the talent and let these guys play at this level in a role that fits them, you should theoretically have a pretty good freaking team here. You know? And it's just a matter of going out and doing that. And that's, I guess, where this whole freaking house of cards falls apart is assuming Chuck Fletcher's going to be good at his job this summer. But, you know, all things considered, like, the foundation that they're laying here this year has been potentially worth it thus far, provided they do what they need to do next summer. Do you think there's a path where Chuck Fletcher regains the confidence of this fan base? Or do you think that Chuck, that SIP has completely sailed? Hmm. It's like 95% sailed. You know, like, I gave him the benefit of the doubt going the night, last summer in 2022. You can go back and listen to these episodes from April and May and early June when I was convinced that they were going to, you know, he was going to do what was necessary to add a star or two and turn this around, and he didn't do it. And the fact that 2023 both from roster construction and financially is shaping up to be very similar to last year. You know, if he did not move JVR to acquire Johnny Gaudreau, what makes me believe at this point in time that he would move Kevin Hayes to bring in Dylan Larkin? You know, there, there's that level of doubt that I don't believe this guy is good enough at his job right now. And it's not impossible you know, he has made trades since he's been in Philadelphia that were good. You know, bringing in Hayes originally, and I guess the Ryan Ellis trade at face value is fine. We all know how that one ended up. But, you know, if he just bit the bullet and did a couple of these moves and added talent, it would help his standing a long term. It's just the fact that I don't have the faith in his ability to do so just because of the way last summer ended up shaking out and the fact that 2023 is going to be almost identical of a situation. I just don't have faith that he's got it in him or that there's enough moves in him. You know, and you've got enough trade chips on this roster in terms of value to go out and add for maybe one big trade. You know, maybe one of those extra 2024 firsts in Cam York. You know, if you want to go get a Timo Mier in San Jose, you can make one trade, but beyond that, you're kind of stuck, right? It's just... I don't know if he's got the the balls to make multiple big moves to truly get the talent that this team needs. If he can get both a Larkin and Pasternak. And I just don't believe that. And 
I guess it's not impossible, but as I just said, you know, the, the 2022 offseason left such a shitty taste in my mouth that I do not have any faith in this guy's ability to truly believe that he can clear the cap necessary to add to the players that are necessary for this to be a good team moving forward. I think that's fair. It's just I think that his biggest issue for me has been the lack of clear direction and how much they have pivoted. And I think going, it's it's so weird. I was much more upset than at Chuck Fletcher following his handling of the 2020 offseason than this offseason. Because in 2020, when you still had Giroux and you still had Voracek and Katori was still healthy and you're coming off of that second round exit in the bubble, I said, okay, you still have a team here that is coming off of a very good season. And he didn't do it. And I think with going back, that's been his biggest flaw has been his inability to put teams over the top. Like I remember in 2017 when he was the GM of the Wild and a lot of people thought that the Wild had a good chance that year. And his big acquisition at the trade deadline was Martin Hansel and Ryan White. (laughs) And I don't even know if Martin Hansel was even healthy ever again after being acquired. And I always thought that he just had a hard time putting his team over the edge. And we saw that 2020, right? When they had a really good team and I wanted them to go get J.G. Pajot and Alec Martinez and we get Nate Thompson, Derek Grant. Oh, God. <laughs> but Like, it was just so unfortunate. Jeez. But then we see how he's kind of been dealt a shitty hand with the, the injuries, which is out of his control. But then also the the deception in a lot of ways he played to the fan base. And I always say that he felt ass backwards into the correct decision this summer. Yeah. Because they just didn't have they it, it made no sense to go big game hunting this summer. Like you could fully sell me if you wanted to bring in a, a Debrinket or a Gaudreau for sure. But I just don't think that it was would have been that consequential because we see like Gaudreau on a bad hockey team in Columbus. Like, how much is he really moving the needle? Ditto for Debrinkat in Ottawa. Like, they're a very poor defensive team, and there's only so much he could do. So, in that respect, I understand. But there has to be a clear direction. And, like, look, I, I assume that sometime over the next couple of months we'll hear from Chuck Fletcher. But he's kind of been lurking in the shadows in a lot of ways in terms of kind of, like, public addressing. But I think that if you could hold firm on this direction because I know Anthony Sanfilippo talked about on stick to hockey last week with Jason Mertides that he had heard rumblings of like them potentially being the market for a forward. Like for me, that that's a non-starter. Like you should roll with what you have here. And I know John Tortorella probably plays a role in that. And Torts obviously has to, or wants to win. We know that he didn't come here to just bottom out, but I think that if you could hold firm, with this direction and sell off some assets at the trade deadline or maybe into the offseason in the way of Kevin Hayes because I can't see that contract being movable in season because of the salary cap. And then you set yourself up and you walk into more cap space with the increased cap and JVR coming off the books and if you can move on from a Hayes or something, maybe you have something. And I wonder, like, if you walk into next summer and you have Horvat on your team and you moved on from... Uh, Hayes and one of Konechny or Farabee because I think you're absolutely right that it will probably come come down to one or the other in that regard. Maybe there's a path for him to rekindle this. But again, I, I don't know if I have the confidence to say that he'll be able to do that because he's been so 
erratic in changing his timeline in the past. I don't think it's impossible, but I, I by no means have any faith in him to do so. And, you know, I, I put out the piece at the beginning of the week, you know, my my predictions for the 23-24 season with uh, Larkin, Pasternak, and Mier. And, like, it's not impossible to be able to snag all three. It's not. Like, financially, it's within the reason. But the moves you would have to do to clear up the cap and to entice those players, that's where you lose me with this. Is I just don't know if Fletcher's got it. I don't know if he can move Hayes and Farabee, you know, to clear that necessary cap to go out and get these guys. Can he put a trade together to craft it properly to be competitive for somebody like Mier? You know, can he do, can he clear all the cap and craft a trade in the same summer? You know, I, I just don't know if this guy's got it in that sense. And, you know, the direction, what they're doing this season is fine. I think Konechny is out tonight with an upper body injury and has returned to Philadelphia for further evaluation. Yeah, he probably snapped his wrist on Pasternak's ass. <laughs> you were saying the I, I don't know what I was saying. Uh, yeah, the the upcoming the thing is when you resign somebody like Sanheim, it really fucking is counterintuitive to that whole approach, right? Now you give this guy a long term. There's a whole bunch of money that would have otherwise been free when you could have had York on his. Well, I guess his ELC is expiring, but York at you know less than a million dollars. You could have had extra. Like why? Ugh. I I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to see how this one ultimately pans out. But um, skeptical, skeptical that Fletcher can uh, fool me once, I think, is the probably best way to put that one. You fooled me last summer. Uh, you're not going to fool me twice. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that's completely fair. And I don't know if I I don't even know if he lasts like, I mean, do you think he lasts this this season? It's I think it's a very interesting question. I'll. <sighs> At this point in time, I believe he does, but it's early enough in the year where shit can go completely off the rails, and I think they've got no choice. But I don't think they get rid of him after a five-game losing streak or, or playing 500 hockey. Like I think shit would need to go real south in order for them to pull that trigger, and I don't know if that's going to happen. I maintain the fact, like I don't know if they've got a 10-game losing streak in them, like, and you know that may just be broken up because they're going to play, you know, Montreal tonight. Maybe they'll beat that game. They got a hell of a schedule coming up here in December, but uh, you know, I, I just unless shit goes real bad, I don't really get the impression that they're going to fire him. If you asked me, you know, four months ago, after whatever the fuck he did during the off season, if he was going to survive past Thanksgiving, I would say hell no. But as we moved on here and moved on here, and I think the early winning helped kind of take a lot of the pressure off of him, um, at least in the short term. But I don't know if he gets canned yet. And and fuck, even if he gets canned, then there's a whole different friggin' you know can of worms we can open there. Does Breer take over? Do they go out and look for somebody else? Does, you know, who the fuck knows, right? There's, so I, I don't know if he gets fired. I would like him to. I think there would be just a general confidence even if it was Breer that took over going into the trade deadline in the offseason, um, you know, that, that that's something would turn around. I think the fans would be much more positive towards somebody like Breer than they are Fletcher. I, I think the bridge has been burned for a vast majority of people that I don't think he can build back. So, you know, we shall see, but I'm not convinced that he gets fired anytime soon, unfortunately. And in terms of torts, I know a lot of people have already started to turn on him like where are you kind of at with Tortorella God I love John Tortorella 
just he's he is exactly what this team needed in, in just about every category. You know, the 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 improved play, the tough love towards certain players, the kind of crafting these guys to play their games in in work out specific roles and demand more and the, you know, the way he's handling the media, the way he's handling, you know, the front office. Like, I, I do think Tortorella fits this role perfectly for the time being. Um, I do believe that he came here to win. I don't think he came here to waste the last three or four years of his coaching career, you know, playing fucking daycare here with the Philadelphia Flyers. Like, I, I do think that by the time he goes away, he wants his team to be good. So, you know, hopefully he, if Fletcher does stick around, hopefully Tortorella doesn't, uh, doesn't just let Fletcher have a, a another lackluster summer. And he goes in there and he says, listen, we need to do this, this, and this to make this team better. And you're going to do it. Uh, I think that's your best bet, actually, if Fletcher does stick around for the necessary upgrades is, is, you know, Tortorella kind of making it happen. So yeah, I really like John Tortorella. I know people are angry at the guy. I think he's pressed a lot of buttons for certain fans, you know, I hate analytics, and, you know, he's not putting over the play of all these guys, and he's just, we suck, you know, during the Columbus <laughs> game and shit like that. Like, he's definitely doing a lot of things that are pressing the buttons of some fans, And but, you know, as far as what this team needs, as far as the kind of, you know, no BS kind of hockey guy behind the bench, like, this guy has been doing it perfectly thus far. I will say this, is that obviously I'm up here in Canada, and the fly have not been talked about this much in almost a decade because of John Tortorella and he's kind of brought them back into relevancy in some way because he's such a polarizing guy and I think a lot of what he does that people don't get is calculated like he knows his shtick he knows how to play the media and I think particularly in the Columbus game when he walked out he did that to take the attention off of his players. Yeah. And I think that's one of the main reasons why he's here is because he's kind of come in and been like a, sh a protective shield for his players in terms of criticism. Because you've seen the beating that these guys have taken. And especially like when AV checked out and Mike Yo was just kind of like a prisoner of war as we <laughs> eloquently described him. I think towards coming in here and kind of being like a protective shield and a lightning rod while this team really learns to play the right way and suffers from a lack of talent and has just been fighting up upstream for all season in terms of injuries, especially now with Travis Konechny. I think the way that Torts has acted, and look, you could criticize his usage of some younger guys and, you know, Zamula and Frost and whatever. You know, I've disagreed with some things as well. You're not going to be in lockstep with everything that a coach does. But I think if in terms of what they needed him to do, I think he's done what he's been asked of. And in terms of an intangible impact of kind of being able to take away some of the negative um, attention from his players— He's done what you wanted as well. Yeah. And the upcoming episode of Frequent Flyer, uh, which will probably be up Sunday night, maybe Monday, um, we spend quite a bit of time talking about Tortorella and his quotes and his antics. And this guy is a master of 
manipulating the media, you know, and, and being able to kind of tell his story and make sure that the attention is on him and, you know, he's taking the bullet for this team. And, and in that sense, it's very much what they need. You know, this is a no-nonsense kind of guy in that perspective. And I just think the Flyers so badly needed somebody like this. You know, they didn't need Navy, who was completely overwhelmed when this team started to go sideways, or Mike Yao, who was sitting there crying on the fucking postgame bench every night. You know, like, you just, you needed somebody like Tortorella who's more than capable of holding his own, who isn't going to deal with the bullshit baited questions that get thrown his way. Like, he is going to go out there and do his thing. And, and you know, so far he has come pretty much completely as advertised. And there are some low-hanging fruit. You know, the the Wade Allison minutes beforehand, Morgan Frost, the fact that Zmula's in the box really drive me fucking crazy. But, like, beyond that, you know, beyond the the depth guys, you know, minutes, the way they're doing things, the way they're playing, I think has been very, very good. And I think a lot of this comes back to Tortorella being a very good coach and demanding more from these players on ice and being very protective of them off the ice. And, um, yeah, he's been (laughs) just, he was so, he is the perfect guy to fill the situation, fill the role, given the situation the team has been over the last few years. Like this has definitely been John Tortorella's team. And he is, even though it's only been a couple months, he's definitely left his uh, imprint in uh, Flyers history. Yep, and I mean, I wasn't I wasn't completely on board with the hire, but I think that from the beginning he said all the right things, and now he's doing the right things yeah. a lot. Yep. And like you said, it's kind of something that I think they needed. And I think that in a lot of ways, and look, we've obviously heard the rumors about how Fletcher didn't want him, and they're not on the same page or whatever. And I fully believe that he wasn't the first guy. And I think that he was pushed hard, or I know for a fact he was pushed hard by Holmgren and Bob Clark. But I do think that it was something along the way of, like, even the guys directly in hockey ops, be some people that we spoke, that I spoke to, is that once they started interviewing him, they kind of realized, like, damn, maybe this is the guy we need. Like, maybe we don't need uh, a Jim Montgomery Maybe we need a hard ass who's going to come in here and just reset everything. And I think he's really come in here and the team feels completely. It doesn't even feel like the same team anymore. No, this this is a completely different team than it was, you know, this time last year. And, you know, it's not last year. I would watch the games to see if they would lose by double digits, right? Because there was just, there was no basics there. They, they didn't try. They didn't have any heart. They were just completely lifeless. This year, it's different. You know, the, the lack of talent is the reason they're losing games. But you know what? They're scrappy. They're going out there, and they are a resilient bunch. You know, the Columbus Blue Jackets game, you know, it's not great that you're trading goal uh, two goal leads with the Blue Jackets given the injuries and just their place in the standings but they didn't get lost in that game they went out there and you know what they gave Boston a fight for the most part they ultimately lost because Boston's a fucking Goliath right now but they tried you know and that's at this point in time, that's all I can freaking ask for, right? Especially considering the, the process, the rebuild, the retool, whatever the fuck it is we're doing right now. You know, what this season is at its basic core was seeing these players advance. You know, kind of instilling a foundation in this team. And Tortorella has done that. He's done exactly what you need him to do thus far. Yes, he's very colorful. We've gotten the full John Tortorella experience. The fucking guy got kicked by a horse, for Christ's sake. You know, like, 
Whatever it is he's doing has absolutely worked right now. It fits the role. I'm sure they wanted somebody else, whether it was Barry Trotz or Montgomery or 30 other coaches that were available last summer. I'm sure there was a, you know indecision in the front office, but they probably got to this guy and they, you know, Tortorella probably gave them very similar speeches to what he's given, you know, the fans and the media when he first signed here. You know, he knows what's up. And I, I think this guy, it's not a bad thing that he's old. You know, when he first signed, he talked about 2004. You know what? Great! I want somebody in this organization that remembers what the fuck this team used to be. You know, we're far removed from those days. But it's not a bad thing that he's here and that he wants to get the team back to that level. That's what they fucking need, you know? So, overall, like... Time will tell on this one, you know, obviously, and see how we end up building the team and what happens next summer. But Tortorella has been just such a breath of fresh air, and uh, I'm glad he's here. Yep, same with me. And I think that I, I also like the the coaching staff as a whole. Like, they look, they just kind of look in sync. And obviously, Bradshaw being, you know, the former coach of, uh, of um, or assistant coach of Torts, in Columbus and he is the associate coach. So I wonder if they already have an in-house replacement for like when Torts maybe steps aside. Like I fully expect Tortorella to be here the full 40 years of his contract. And yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if Shaw would take over for him after that, or if that's at least the tentative plan to this point. Eh, it's probable. But I mean, by that point, like, would you really just want to, you know, shift a Tortorella disciple and Rocky Thompson? I mean, I mean, the power play certainly needs work, but to your point, like, is there's only so much a coach can do, right? The, the special teams are fucking miserably brutal right now. They're both 27th, both the power play and penalty kill, uh, 17.9 and 74.1. The last, you know, the losing streakers really turned things around. They're 2 for 16 on the power play over the last six games, which is just 12%. They're 8 for 15 on the penalty kill, which is 53%. And I made note earlier in the season that visually, both units look real bad, but they were managing to work. The penalty kill was actually doing pretty good until this last little stretch of games here, but I, I think a lot of that is talent-based. You know, the special teams, especially the power play, you know, has been in, uh, has been hurt by the lack of talent. And the penalty kill, especially with Couturier missing, has been, you know, brutal. So I, I think the special teams and the three-on-three OT, I think, is where you really notice the lack of high-end talent. But I, I think that's more of a talent issue versus an effort issue right now. Yeah, 100%. I agree. And it just comes back to what we kind of opened the show with, saying that, like, based on what they have at their disposal talent wise, even for the most part on an individual basis, like it's really tough to complain about where they are to this point. Yeah. Given, given what this season is, there are not a lot of complaints, um, either from the coaching, from the players, you know, there are some guys you can start to look at as we get closer to the 20 game mark here, the quarter mark of this season, you know, you can start looking at guys like Farabee and wondering what he's doing and, you know, but other than that, Overall, like, I'm willing to sit in my hands right now. You know, as and you know, once we get into the off season and how that ends with shaking out, this will be a much different story. But for now, for what this season is, it's fine. Boiled down to the bare roots of what we're doing right now, it's fine. Like, I'm totally fine with how this season is going. Yeah, and I guess we're gonna have a better idea of where we're at when we talk next week at this time because they have a good blitz of games coming up. Yeah, it is a uh, <laughs> it's a brutal friggin' schedule they got coming up here. They got Montreal tonight, which will probably happen by the time most of you listen to this. Uh, Calgary on Monday, Washington on Wednesday, 
back to back with Pittsburgh and the Islanders. They play the Islanders again. Then get ready for this schedule here as December turns. December, uh, they got uh, December 1st against Tampa. New Jersey, Colorado, Washington, Vegas, Arizona, Colorado, (laughs) New Jersey, New York, Columbus, Toronto, Carolina, leading up to Christmas. So a whole lot of, uh, basically uh, multiple, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games against the uh, top teams in the league in the next uh, month. So (laughs) Be a good litmus test, that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well... Yeah, so that's the upcoming schedule here. I think we touched upon pretty much everything. Um, we got, uh, let's see, this will go up, to what, what is it, Saturday? Frequent Flyer, got a couple of episodes of those coming up over the next couple of days, probably Monday. We'll be back with Shane on Monday, so it'll probably go Wednesday before the holiday. Um, got a couple pre-recorded Frequent Flyers for later the week as well, so we'll be back sometime, um, probably next week. Two weeks, technically. Eh, whatever the fuck it is. Who gives a shit? We'll be back at some point to talk about the Flyers after uh, <laughs> after the after the holiday here. So, uh, at in the Flyer fan at Brotherly Puck at Brotherly underscore pod. And uh, plenty of shit up on the website, brotherlypuck.com. You can check that out. And uh, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at Marco 25 All right, everyone. Until next time, goodbye and good night.